Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, October 5th. Today we are reading from the big book. We're in the chapter more about alcoholism on page 38 at the bottom of the page. And today's readers are Paula, Kim, Monica, Sharon, and Sarah. The share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Thursday, October 4th, 3111. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Shelley to read the 12 steps. Good morning, A Vision for You. My name is Shelley, and I am a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Shelley. I will now call on Susan to read the 12 traditions. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, to you. This is Susan, recovering compulsive overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Post-neural recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience, 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such should never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Susan. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism. You'll find us on page 38, the last paragraph. And I'm going to ask Paula to begin, please. Thank you. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And begin, I will. Some of you are thinking, yes. What you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did. Nor are we likely to, for we understand ourselves so well. After what you have told us, that such things cannot happen again. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. And with that, it ends in a quote. Now, little explanation points there. Starts with some of us, uh, some of you are thinking. Now, see, they they know. They're not thinking this anymore. Because, see, they've already thought the thought. So they're just one step ahead. Hmm, Maybe I should say 12. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true. Of course, we're not going to deny it. We're not that crazy, are we? 
Why do we not deny it? Because others see it, and we see it ourselves. But it doesn't fully apply. Now, there's the word. And always, you know, fully concede. Notice how quite well fully is put right in the place that it's so appropriate. Apply. But fully, we didn't. We stood at the wall with a paint can, ready to paint. But, honey, we weren't putting any paint on that wall. We admit we have some of these symptoms. Oh, well, there you are, conceding. <laughs> oh, wait, not fully. But we have not gone to the extremes that you fellows did. You know, always trying to minimize what I did and maximize what you did. That's how my thought process was. And that's got got me where I was and kept me there, may I add. But it ends, we have not lost everything in life. Can you imagine saying a statement like that? Well, you know, there's more I could lose. I haven't lost everything. Let me lose a little bit more. Let me lose some more friendships, some more relationships. But this part, there's the insanity. And we certainly do not intend to. Like your intentions matter now. Honey, it's got you. You ain't got it. And it ain't letting you go. And then it clearly says, thanks for the information. Oh, yeah, we all know how much information and knowledge, how far that gets us. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. And it makes me think, you know, here we are at step one. Here we are at step one. You know, are we going to fully concede to our innermost selves that we are like you, that we are compulsive overeaters of the most critical variety? And in the 12 and 12, it says, who cares to admit complete defeat? That's on page 21. Practically no one, every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. So once again here, we're going to try to make ourselves exceptions to the rule. Therefore, not compulsive overeaters. And I thought knowledge was power. I thought that if I knew enough about what was going on with me, that then I could prevent what had been happening to me over and over and over again. You know, we we admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extreme. You know, I can I can pick and choose myself and see that some of the things match, but maybe some of them don't. And if some of them don't, then maybe I'm the exception to the rule. And besides, we understand ourselves so well now, you telling us what you've told us, that these things cannot happen again. And let me tell you, I was there so many times. Okay, now I know what I know. Now I have this new information. It can't possibly happen to me again. But, you know, understanding the problem did not prevent the problem from happening. It was so deeply ingrained in me by that point. It had gone from habit to obsession, and there was no turning back. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. 
My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, this statement here, we admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did. You know, what What this statement is saying is that, um, you know, it doesn't matter where in the spectrum of the disease you fall. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a low-bottom case, you know, um, where you've lost everything, these alcoholics, some of them uh, were jailed, you know, some of them had car wrecks, they lost their homes, they lost their families, uh, they almost lost their lives. Uh, Then we have examples of high-bottom alcoholics where they didn't lose cars, homes, jobs, Um, but it doesn't matter whether you're a low-bottom alcoholic or a high-bottom alcoholic. It doesn't matter whether you're a low-bottom compulsive overeater and you did some of the things that I did or whether you're a high-bottom compulsive overeater. What makes a compulsive overeater and what makes an alcoholic is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Allergy of the body that when we ingest certain substances, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. Obsession of the mind is that we all believe a lie before we take that first bite. That's it. That's all we need to know. Do I have an allergy of the body? Check. Do I have obsession of the mind? Check. And then to that I say, welcome to the club. And with that, I pass. Anybody else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Katie, a compulsive reader. It's Monica. Katie, and then Monica. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out to me the most um, is saying that we have some of these symptoms, but we've not gone to the extremes you fellow did. Or, nor are we likely to, for we understand our, ourselves so well. And that's what I chased that idea for years. I chased the idea that I was smarter than this disease. And, you know, that if having all the uh, this self-knowledge was going to somehow um, fix me, that I was somehow going to be able to wake up tomorrow and not have the compulsion to overeat. And I I spent that, uh, I just spent decades doing that. And all it got was me uh, getting to where I did have all these symptoms, where it got worse, and I did do the things that I thought I would never do. Uh, the window of um, my having any semblance of control got smaller and smaller and smaller. And I had to believe that um, even if I didn't have the same bottom that someone else had, that it was only yet. I didn't have it yet. Uh, With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Monica, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to uh, go on uh, Leah's um, tales here about we admit we have some of these symptoms but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did. And I just wanted to point out that it's important here that, yes, there's an admission here. Yes, I admit I'm a compulsive overeater, but that's not enough. 
And it's also not uh, going to work if you're just comparing, like what they're doing here. People are comparing themselves. Well, I'm not as, like, as bad as you are. I haven't been to those same extremes. So comparing is not going to do it. What we need to do is identify. We've got to identify with this and get this within us that this is me, me, me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Nicole. Go right ahead, Nicole. Hi, everybody. This is Nicole, gracefully recovering compulsive overeater. You know, I really can relate to this paragraph, and I love reading this paragraph because I happen to be one that is a little bit of a high bottom. And when I first joined the program in March, um, even when I read step one and was taking step one, I said, you know what, okay, I can see that I'm powerless over the food, but to think that my life is unmanageable, my my life is not unmanageable. I think I manage my life very well. And the reason I bring that up is because when you're still in the disease, you really cannot see yourself at all for what is really happening. And while I did not lose cars, I did not lose my home, I I didn't grab things out of the garbage pail, I absolutely am an obsessive-compulsive overeater. And um, it just goes to show you that while you're in it, you are so deceived. The food just makes you think, or I don't know really what it is, but you just really cannot see yourself for what you are. And so a few months after being in program, I decided to take a bite. And it was a small bite of something. And because of this program and because of learning you know, deeply what the big book is saying, when I saw that obsession come back in my mind and when I saw the allergy at work, it took me a couple of weeks to um, really regain myself. I said, wow, okay, I obviously am truly a compulsive overeater. Even though I didn't do some of the things that other people have described, I was well on my way to doing those things had the program not halted um, the progression of the disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. We're going to move on to the next paragraph with Kim, please. Thanks, Leah. That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will absolutely unable to stop on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. And good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. I am a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This is so important. It's so important for us to understand the non-alcoholic to the, to the true alcoholic. In that first paragraph sentence, that may be true of a certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate. You know, you know my father can be a heavy eater. You know, when he goes on vacation, he, you know, the, the food of that country 
It's a part of that experience. And he will gain 10, 15 pounds in a week because he's experiencing that food. But he simply comes home and he moderates. He stops eating certain foods so he loses the weight. So why is he able to do that? Because his body and his brain have not been as damaged as mine. He does not have that allergy. When he picks up that food on vacation, he gets a satiated feeling. He's satisfied. He enjoys the experience. My experience with my allergy foods is I become less satiated. When I ingest my food, I need to have more and more and more, and the more that I eat, the less satisfied that I get, which is why I am less satisfied at the hundredth bite than I am at the first bite. But even more importantly, you know, my dad comes home from vacation, and his mind doesn't tell him he has to keep eating again. His mind says the experience is over. I will go back to moderating, and I just have a little bit less to take that weight off. But I have a mind that says, no, you must have that food. You must have that food. You have to, well, how else are you going to take the edge off? How else are you going to get ease and comfort? That food is the only thing that's going to make this day worth it. You know, so that is the non-alcoholic mind. He's able to control and enjoy his eating. And my experience as a compulsive reader is when I'm controlling it, I can't um, enjoy it. And when I'm enjoying it, I can't control it. And we have to understand that my brain, that the compulsive overeater brain and body is different from other fellows. We are a distinct entity. And that is the reason that we have to submit to this program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Irini. Irini, go ahead. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I identify with this so much, and by identifying, it gives me comfort to know I am not the only one, to know the truth about myself, of who and what I really am, to know what I must and want to do to be set free. I really know that I am powerless, I know it because I experienced it, I felt it, I suffered through it. I was and I am and will always be a compulsive overeater, that I am absolutely unable to stop on the basis of self-knowledge or anything else. And this idea had to be smashed and be replaced with a better idea. It's not I it's God. So it's okay now to accept my challenges, to embrace them, and to surrender, because my heart, my spirit, my soul, and my mind feels that God is there for me to conquer all through through his, his power, his unconditional love, his strength, his guidance. And if I know, then I can do That's right, yes. But how? With whose power? To know that this can be put to rest and to know I can live a happy, joyous, and free life, what a blessing and how beautiful is that. I thank you and I pass.
This is Janice. I'll go ahead. We seem to have lost play. I'll go ahead and share on this paragraph. That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people, but the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. You know, that is emphasized because it's put in italics so that I pay attention to that, so that I pay attention because this is the point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, they say, to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. You know, I'm so grateful for the experience of these first 100 recovered alcoholics that they put this down in this book, my thinking, my thinking. Because if I am one of those people that has both the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and I am like them, and I am a true compulsive overeater, then this is going to, I'm going to relate to this. Somehow, some way, it's going to be smashed home in my brain, and I am going to identify in. I am going to identify in. And that's what happened to me, because I prided myself. I prided myself on my intelligence, on my self-knowledge. You know, wasn't I a seeker? Hadn't I been reading everything I could get my hands on? I was desperate at that point. I was desperate at that point and so knew that I could no longer be the exception to the rule. That the answer was going to be here in the teaching of the big book that I had both of these things wrong with me. That my thinking could not be trusted. And that had been proven to me. And their bitter experience, which they have been so willing to share with me, was something I could relate to. I could relate my own bitter experience to it and see myself and see myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Of course, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you, Lou. You know, um, the first part I can definitely not identify with because that's true of certain non-alcoholic people, which I am not one of. But I'd like to put where that because their brains, these are the non-alcoholic and bodies, okay? There's the dynamic duel here. We have brains and bodies have not been damaged. See, mine have. And it clearly states, now here, my identification as ours. I can come together as ours were. You know that word damage uh, means to impair. And when something's damaged, it only makes it worse. See, that's all I could do. That's all I could do with the brain and the body that I had because they were so severely damaged. And then it goes on with the butt. But the actual, ah, there I go identifying again. But the actual or potential alcohol with hardly an exception, yeah. You know, sometimes we want to be the exception to the rule, but not here. We'll be absolutely unable to stop drinking under the basis of self-knowledge. And Bill W. clearly says in in, um, in the, his story, you know, what self-knowledge got him. It conned him at last. Anyway, thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, it's Rick. Hey, Rick. Good morning. 
Good morning. Uh, Rick, recovered compulsive overeater. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And I love the way they speak in that word, potential alcoholic, um, because that that sounds like what uh, this person is talking talking about, the one in quotes. Yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. Well, sounds like that might be a potential alcoholic or a potential compulsive overeater. So I, I don't think it was put in there uh, by mistake, the word potential alcoholic, and it uh, it's just giving the reader more food for thought, excuse the pun, giving the reader some more things to think about, potential. And um, they used that term a couple times in the book, and you know, weren't we all potential compulsive overeaters before we came here and admitted it? Weren't, weren't these guys potential alcoholics before they hit their bottom? So, um, you know, one of my sponsors used to say, you don't have to be flat on your back and destitute to come into the, the program and get help. Your bottom is right where it's supposed to be. And you can come in at whatever point you're at. You don't have to get worse. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to focus on this statement. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of of self-knowledge. And obviously, as we look at this statement, we see it's in italics. That means it's really, really important. Um, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. Meaning, you know, I I could stare at these pages day in and day out. Um, A person could get on this phone line day in and day out. A person could learn all about the disease of alcoholism, or in our case, the disease of compulsive overeating. Uh, We could have an intellectual understanding of what the allergy of the body is. We could recite uh, word by word, you know, quotations from the doctor's opinion. We could intellectually understand about the obsession of the mind. Perhaps we could quote pages uh, and paragraphs you know, from the big book regarding that obsession of the mind. But what the big book is hammering here is that uh, for someone like a real alcoholic, or in our case, uh, or a potential alcoholic, that that intellectual understanding, self-knowledge, is not enough to stop. What what is required for recovery of this disease is transcending the intellect. I we need a new mind, a spirit guided mind, a spirit guided mind. You know, having a great understanding of the disease of compulsive overeating will only make you a smart compulsive overeater, not a recovered one. You know, you can know everything there is to know about compulsive overeating. Uh, you could have a wide variety of experience in the career of compulsive overeating. I certainly did. Um, presumably what I didn't know about compulsive overeating is how to live, how does Leia live in Leia without having to compulsively overeat to tolerate it? And in order to do that, in order to recover, I needed an experience 
a spiritual experience, and that's exactly what the book is designed to bring about, an experience, a spiritual experience, a spiritual experience that moves me from one page to the next page of this very book. Because the big book makes it very clear that to get over compulsive overeating will require a transformation of thought and attitude. I cannot transcend my mind by, by the intellect. The only one that can tran- transform my mind is God, and that's done by the implementation of these action steps. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, then we will move on to the next paragraph with Monica, please. It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica, please. Uh, Do you want me to read the next paragraph? Correct. Uh, Okay, I was unmuting and I didn't hear. Sorry. Fred is partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good. He has a fine home, is happily married and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual. Yet, he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so in spite of his character and standing. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired, would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. So here we are in the big book, more about alcoholism, and in this chapter where they are giving us different examples of the obsession of the mind, of the different ways it works and how we believe the lie. And here we're getting the story about Fred, and uh you know I like Fred. I relate with Fred here, you know. He's uh he's a good guy. He's got a good job. He looks like he has a nice family. He's he's got a good personality. You know, he on the outside things are looking looking decent, you know. This guy hasn't lost everything. He's not lost everything. He's he's hardly lost anything at all, you know. He looks like he's doing okay. But yet he is alcoholic. 
And so in this story here, we're seeing, you know, he's, he's, he's in denial here. He's not, he's in denial. He's still thinking like the chapter, the uh, paragraph above that self-knowledge is going to do it for him. That now he's got all this experience, you know, and I thought the same thing, you know, I read all the books and took the classes and did this and did that and, you know, okay, the next time I'm going to do better. The next time I'll know, you know, I'll know. Oh, yeah, I'll know what's happening. But it never worked that way because self-knowledge is another physical type of treatment that I'm trying. And this is a spiritual problem. And I need a spiritual solution. I need something that is more powerful than the obsession of my mind. Something that's going to be greater than that lie that I believe every single time. And I too at times thought, you know, oh my God, I got caught eating something. What a humiliating experience, you know. Got caught stealing somebody's food. Oh wow, I'm never going to do it again. But yet I did. And I needed something more. And there is a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Go right ahead. Thank you, Leah. When I'm reading this paragraph with all of you this morning, I'm thinking to myself, there is a progression of the disease but there can also be a progression towards recovery. You know, and what are the steps that they're telling us here that Fred had to go through in order to truly see himself and his problem and identify in? You know, here's yet another example of this very successful man, you know, who had so much going for him, so much going for him, well-known, partner in, in his firm, good income, fine home, happily married, father of uh, beautiful, promising children of college age. You know, great personality, very, very uh, charismatic, attractive to, to people and friends with everyone. Success on all counts. But it's this count, to this place, to all appearances, outside appearances, he looked like he had it all together. But the inside, the interior, what was going on in his mind, in his mind? You know, he ended up in the hospital. Now, it gets pretty bad for you to end up in the hospital. It gets pretty bad. But it was his first experience of this kind where he ended up that bad in the hospital. So it jarred him some. It, it shook up his thinking some. He was very ashamed of himself. But he told himself, okay, it's, I'm just coming here to rest my nerves. That's what's wrong with me. I just, I just need a, a little rest. My nerves were, were um, all jangled and upset, and, and so this is going to be the solution. And he made up his mind. And I don't know about you, but I made up my mind countless times. I made up my mind countless times. But what I did not know is that my mind could not be trusted anymore to follow through on what I thought I needed to do. I couldn't trust myself anymore. And that's another progression that got me towards recovery. You know, once I realized this, this guy couldn't believe that he was an alcoholic, even though they visited him in the hospital 
We told him what we knew about alcoholism. And this smart man was interested and even conceded that he had some of the symptoms. But he was yet a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. You know, we, we're going to try every bit of self-determination, self-will, everything we've got to throw at this disease before we're ready to fully concede. That's what they're telling us happened to Fred. That's what happened to me. And with that, I'll cast. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else? This is Nicole. Go ahead, Nicole, on this paragraph. Thanks. Hi, again. This is Nicole, gratefully recovering compulsive reader. I just, I'm just so thankful that the big, big book covers all the different types of people in all the different um, stages of the disease. I can relate to Fred so well. In fact, when I started the program of recovery and was sharing with family and friends, they were shocked. You know, they were shocked that, Nicole, you know, your life is unmanageable. You have your career. It's thriving. You're home. You're this, you're that. And what they didn't know and what I didn't know at that time was that the disease had not yet hit those areas of my life. It had hit, though, the areas of how I could relate to other people. It hit um, how I could manage my emotions, even though I was able to manage my emotions so well that I never seemed or really ever felt upset, angry, depressed. It was because the food managed my emotions. And um, I'm, just, I'm just so thankful to, to um, be aware now, but also to have God help me through this. I, I just, I'm amazed how deceived I was that, again, like I said before, I really did not think this applied to me because I thought for certain my life really is not as unmanageable as what others are saying here. But now I, I'm just 100% convinced that had the disease continued, I would have started to lose these things. I would have started to um, become severely depressed. I would have started to go to the length to get to my binge food um, that I have, you know, so readily heard others describe. And I'm just really thankful to um, be in the program. And again, with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, go right ahead. Good morning, everyone, again. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so in spite of his character and standing. It never occurred to him. No, I just haven't found the right diet yet. I just need to find the right gym. I just need to have this happen in my life and get my way and I'll be okay. It never occurred to me I, could, I couldn't stop. You know, I was like, well, when I finish high school, I'll do something about this. When I finish college, I'll do something about this. You know, when this stressful situation is over, I'll do something about this. It never occurred to me that I didn't have the option. It never occurred to me that my mind and my body was different from other people and that, that all the things in my life that I was able to do, I'm a smart girl. I've been able to delay gratification to get, out of, to get finished with school, to help a family through a crisis, to, do, to, uh, to get something that I really wanted. So why can't I apply this to my food? It doesn't make any sense. It never occurred to me that I couldn't do this. It says Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy to this problem. 
And that's why these first chapters are so important. Because if we do not believe we're an alcoholic, if we do not believe that we are a compulsive overeater, why would we even care about the solution? Why would we even think about it? You know, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. If we're not insane, why would we need a higher power? If we're not insane, why would we have to go through all these these action steps to be restored to sanity if we think we're okay? As long as I think I'm my higher power, as long as I think I'm in control, there's no reason. So since Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept the spiritual remedy for this problem, he was dead in the water, just the way that I was dead in the water, and that my sick mind kept telling me that I am different, and I kept putting myself lower and lowering my expectations so I would not have to address the fact that I was bodily and mentally different from my fellows, that I had this allergy to the body that would never, ever, ever change. And even more importantly, I had this obsession of the mind that was going to bring me back to the food regardless if I'm the high-bottom drunk like Fred, the low-bottom drunk like Jim, I'm the person who can withhold and be absent for 25 years like the man of 30, or I'm just purely like a nutcase like the jaywalker. Because that is my dilemma today. Lack of power is my dilemma. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else on this yeah, paragraph? Yes, this is Sarah. It's Edie Go right ahead, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, good morning. I'm um, grateful for this meeting. I'm sorry, I'm a compulsive overeater from Washington, D.C. My name is Sarah. And um, I really relate to this part of the big book. As I got deeper and deeper into my disease, I became more convinced that, you know, that I just had to figure out what was going on in my brain. I had to figure out what was going on with me psychologically, and then I could fix my compulsive eating. And so just like I progressed on kind of crazier and crazier diets, I actually escalated my my search for um, self-knowledge. So I started with general therapists, and I gave a lot of money to a lot of therapists, and none of them could really help me with my eating disorder. So then I decided that I needed um, an eating disorder specialist, and um, I saw some of those, and, you know, they couldn't really help me with my eating disorder. They asked me a lot of questions, but they never were able to offer me anything that got me, that gave me any relief. And so I decided to see a really expensive and famous diet doctor whose approach tends to be more psychological. And... Um, you know, that doctor had some useful tips and was very compassionate and very funny, but, um, again, really couldn't help me get to the bottom of my compulsive overeating. So I spent a lot of money, <clears throat> excuse me, thousands of dollars on self-knowledge, and it really didn't help me. In the end, the only self-knowledge that helped me was the self-knowledge that I was truly a compulsive overeater and that I needed a spiritual solution. That was what got me back to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and that's what eventually led me to recovery. And in the end, like I said, that was the only self-knowledge that helped me. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else? It's Irini. Go right ahead, Irini. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Does he... Or does he not have the allergy of the body? Does he or does he not have the obsession of the mind? He doesn't believe. He's not admitting nor accepting that he is powerless, 
So the disease is thinking something that he that he's not. What he's doing is he's relying on self-knowledge. He's refusing to take step one. We have to fully concede in an innermost being of who and what we are. And he's fighting that. And uh, what he's doing is he's denying himself as an alcoholic. He's trying to draw power from himself. And we all know this is false. We know that this does not work and that we need a power greater than ourselves. So unless we humble ourselves to take step one, then we won't need a power greater than ourselves. Unless, um, I mean, he didn't believe nor accept nor... um, So if you don't believe and you don't accept, then you can't achieve. And acceptance, you know, it's the answer to all our problems. And if there's no acceptance, then there's no way out, and then that's where we get stuck. So he's surviving on his excuses. His distorted thinking is telling him the lies, and he's believing in them. And how well is that working for him? I thank you, and I pass. Thank you. My name is Leia. I'm a real compulsive overeater. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. Um, You know, this is a recipe for disaster for Fred (laughs) uh, because he's got uh, denial of who and what he is, um, plus a lot of pride, plus a lot of arrogance, plus you you, you stir in some self-reliance and some entitlement. Um, you know, it's a recipe for disaster because a sick mind can't heal a sick mind. You know, it's obvious here with Fred that he's not looking to identify in. He is refusing to identify in, actually. Uh, He's looking for a way to justify his departure. You know, he was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge that he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Uh, He is minimizing the power of this disease. He is defending the fact that his intellect and his knowledge will supersede this obsession of the mind. He's justifying his departure, that he can handle it on his own uh, through his self-knowledge and and through the recent humiliating experience. So, uh, you know, he's doing what we do, defying, denying, and delaying. And me, myself, and I is no match against this disease. It is no match against this disease. Because every single time that mental twist is going to win out. You can throw all the intellect, you can throw all the knowledge that you've accumulated in your years or decades uh, staring at these pages. You can throw all of that at the obsession of the mind and get into that boxing ring day in and day out with the intellect and the knowledge that you've accumulated or that Fred accumulated in his meeting with uh, some of these recovered recovered alcoholics, and it's not enough. You know, when that obsession of the mind continues to deliver and whisper in Fred's ear the opportunity or the option to pick up a drink, guess what's going to happen? Because the disease will have its way. You either deal with the disease or it will deal with you. And that's what Fred's going to learn. 
And we're going to move on to the next paragraph, please, with Sharon. Hi, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning to all of you, and thank you for allowing me to share. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive. For here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nevertheless. Now, this is a very, very interesting uh, look into uh, our disease and to the mind frame of the compulsive overeater. And I can completely identify with this as a person who sat in the rooms for 10 years uh, and, and did not get recovery and who constantly questioned whether I was indeed a compulsive overeater, even though I knew there was no place else to go for me. So here was Fred, uh, who um, we didn't hear of him for a while. And isn't that like so many that come into the rooms and then uh, uh, we don't hear from them and then they they come back. Uh, And then they heard from him again. And then he was anxious to see them because he realized that there was something in what they had said, and he wanted to talk to them. And the story he told was instructive. And But Bill took a minute before he goes into uh, dis- letting Fred tell his story to step back for a minute and look at Fred. Who is this guy, Fred? What can we learn about Fred? that would be instructive to us even before we hear his story. Here's Fred. He was convinced he had to stop. He knew. He knew, just like I knew as I sat in the rooms, that I knew that I was a compulsive overeater. Yet I argued in my mind that perhaps I wasn't because I wasn't like you or I wasn't like this one. I was different in some ways. And so I argued that maybe I really wasn't because I didn't do what she did and what that one did. And um, so, but here he was, he knew he had to stop drinking. And another thing about Fred is he had no excuse for drinking. There was no reason that Fred needed to drink. Now, some of us sometimes say, if you had my life, you would overeat too. But Fred had a good life. He came from a good family. He had everything going for him. Yet he drank. Yet he drank. And I can say that was my story. I could have had a lot of things, but the eating took me down. It took me out. And I had no excuse initially for the overeating, But once I became, and and the food took me down, that became my excuse for eating. And he had splendid judgment and determination in all areas, all other concerns, yet here he was. So we don't know why we become compulsive overeaters, and we don't have to understand why. 
And we don't have to take 10 years to finally accept it and finally get recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Looks like we're out of time. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164. And I'll ask Sarah to do that for us, please. Good morning. This is Sarah, compulsive overeater, recovering. Thank God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.